everyone. Welcome back to the Thrilogy Podcast. My name's Morgan, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Krista. And Cameron. Before we jump in, I wanted to give a huge shout out to Tim V for being such a big supporter of the podcast. The other day, he shared that he listened to four of our episodes in a row, which is not only impressive, but it means a lot to us. So thank you again. Um, and everyone else, don't forget, if you want a shout out at the beginning of our next episode, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Today, we'll be discussing the unsolved murder of Anita Knutson. Anita was an 18-year-old, attractive college student living in Minot, North Dakota. By all accounts, Anita was popular, responsible, and well-loved by friends and family. In 2007, she was living in her first apartment and was working two jobs to pay her way through college at the nearby university. Anita and her two siblings, Anna and Daniel, were all adopted at a young age by their parents, Sharon and Gordon. Although she lived away from home while she was at college, she was very close with her siblings. In fact, her younger sister Anna described Anita as the girl everyone wanted to know. She was one of those people that had a magnetic personality, and people were immediately drawn to her. As I said, Anita was very close with her family, and actually spoke with her mother daily. So, when Anita didn't answer her mother's phone call on Saturday, June 2nd, her mother felt a little uneasy. She shared these nerves with the rest of the family, who also said they hadn't heard from her. Anita's sister, Anna, recalls that the family was at the North Dakota State Baseball Tournament watching her brother play, and they were all talking about how strange it was that Anita hadn't answered any of their phone calls. The next day, her mother was still feeling the same sense of unrest, so she tried to call Anita for a second time. Again, Anita didn't answer. So the next day, she tried again, and of course, for a third time, there was no answer. Her mom was extremely worried at this point, as it was very unlike Anita to not answer. Because of this, she had this strong intuition that something was wrong and asked her husband to drive to Anita's house to go check in on her. When Anita's father arrived, he saw her car parked nearby. However, when he knocked at her door, she didn't answer. He tried to open the door, but it was locked. So he walked over to the manager's office and asked that she open the door to Anita's apartment. The manager kept saying that she would get in trouble if she let him in, so she couldn't do that. But regardless, she followed Anita's father back to the apartment anyway. They arrived at the apartment door and started arguing back and forth about whether or not the manager could open the door. The apartment complex's janitor heard the commotion and walked over to them. He showed them a sliced window screen that he had found in the yard and pointed out that Anita's window was open. Anita's father pushed aside the blinds and saw Anita face down in her bed. Her father reached through the window and touched her head and ordered that the manager open the door immediately. She finally agreed. They walked in and oddly enough, everything looked very normal. That is until they walked into Anita's bedroom and unfortunately saw Anita's bed soaked with blood. Her body was very cold and it seemed like she had been dead there for days. She was covered in a large housecoat, but it was clear that she had been stabbed many times. At this time, they also found the murder weapon, which was a dull pocket knife. It was laying nearby on the ground with no attempt to hide it. Anita's poor father says that he then went into shock. 
Investigators stated that her time of death was Sunday morning. This didn't really sit right with everyone because they wondered why she hadn't returned her mother's phone call on Saturday. Again, it was very unlike her. Throughout the investigation, it was also noted that she didn't show up to work on Saturday. After determining the time of death, investigators started looking into how the perpetrator got into Anita's apartment in the first place. Of course, it seemed fairly obvious that if the screen was cut, window was open, the murderer got in that way. But surprisingly, investigators discovered that the screen had actually been cut after the murder. They found little traces of blood on it. So how did the killer get into her room? And the bigger question for everyone was, what was the motive? There were no real clues, and there was no robbery, no sexual assault, no drugs or alcohol present. And again, she had no known connections to any unsavory people or activities, no known enemies. As I said, everyone maintained that Anita was well-loved by everyone that met her, and she was extremely responsible. So I just want to say about the crime scene itself before we get into any other details is that I noticed that the screen appears to be cut after the murder and there's no like reports of forced entry. So there's a few things to me already that seem like the suspect could be someone that she knows because we don't have really forced entry because we know they either left out the window or they just cut the window for show. I also find it really interesting that the suspect went so crazy with the stabbing of her, but then covered her up with a coat as if to like hide her, give her respect, kind of not show her in that in that space. So those were just like two things that immediately jumped out at me before we like I said, before we get into any other details. So I'm already leaning towards this could be someone that she knows. Exactly. It seems emotional, like at every turn, you know, so many stabs. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. And then they cover her body. The whole thing reads emotional to me. So when Anita's body was initially discovered, police were on the scene very quickly. A man named Tyler, who had been Anita's prom date in high school, was also on the scene quickly. Tyler adored Anita, but some say it was borderline obsessive. They had never dated but friends and family said he seemed to be stuck on her after prom. This doesn't seem too unusual for young love, especially if Anita was, you know, as magnetic as everyone said. However, Tyler took it to the next level. He moved into the same apartment complex that she lived in and even attended the same college. Police noted his quick arrival on the scene and asked when he last spoke to Anita. He said, 5.07 p.m. on Friday, June 1st, 2007. Apparently, those extremely specific numbers were his exact words, which set off alarm bells at the police as well. Because of this, police continued to question Tyler over and over again, and he assured them that he was innocent. He shared with police how much he loved her and actually stated that he considered Anita the most important person in his life. Police asked him if he'd be willing to submit a DNA sample, and he happily agreed. He wasn't a match to any of the DNA found at the scene. And it's also worth noting here that Tyler also started his own investigation. He created social media pages, attended vigils, and tried to seek answers. To this day, he's still investigating and routinely passes off leads to the police. When people ask him why he's doing this or why he's so obsessive, 
He says that Anita was his best friend and she didn't deserve what happened to her. From there, police investigated hundreds of people, including neighbors, classmates, construction workers doing work nearby, and people that attended the same bars that she went to on the weekends. Unfortunately, no real leads came of this. Police also questioned the janitor many times, who denied any involvement. They were suspicious of him because he's the one who knew about the window, and you know, being the complex's janitor, he also had a key to her apartment. It's also worth noting that the janitor was also the manager's boyfriend. However, after questioning the janitor quite a few times, the police seemed to drop him as a suspect. Even so, Anita's family was still suspicious of him, especially after he unfortunately committed suicide less than a year after the murder. Yeah, that's definitely a little bit suspicious, but I feel like the janitor would have been for lack of better words, stupid to commit the crime on his work grounds where everyone's going to know you have a key. (laughs) So it's like, it would have just been too easy. But I mean, he could also have committed suicide because he maybe saw her before and feels guilty. Maybe that, you know, he wasn't there at the right time to maybe avoid someone else going inside, something like that. I think it might be that. And also, you know, while this investigation was going on, I'm sure people thought it was him, especially if her family is saying that they have this sneaking suspicion about him. If he was innocent, imagine the toll that takes on you as well, people accusing you of this. So I don't know. I'm I'm not super convinced that it was him. Yeah, for sure. And then like in the age of the internet, because this was like just only in 2007, even if you're deemed innocent, if you search their name, it always comes up like that they were on trial for it or that they were arrested on suspicion and it could ruin your life. So Exactly. It follows you. The police's next lead came from a witness that stated that they had seen a man running from the area very early in the morning on Sunday. The witness got together with the police and a sketch was made. This sketch circulated on the news and in the newspapers. Soon after, a man recognized himself in the sketch and came forward. He was immediately cleared and was just a runner following his normal early morning route. The last lead that the police had to follow was Anita's female roommate, Taylor. Apparently, Anita and Taylor didn't get along well at all, and Anita complained to her family many times about Taylor's lifestyle and habits. Taylor allegedly would invite male friends into the apartment and then allow them to stay even after she had left the apartment which of course would leave them alone with Anita. Taylor and Anita got in many arguments. Several turned into screaming matches and one even turned physical. Taylor allegedly hurt Anita's foot on one occasion and threatened her multiple times over text. Friends and family shared that Anita told them that she was scared of her roommate and that at points she even feared for her life. So the police tracked Taylor down and questioned her. Taylor, of course, immediately denied involvement and was said to have a firm alibi. She stated that she spent the entire weekend with her parents at their house and couldn't possibly have been involved. Her parents stated the same. However, there's another interesting layer to this that I want to share. Taylor's mother actually showed up unannounced at Anita's funeral to confront Anita's mother about the police questioning her daughter. 
Apparently, she was very upset that she was even questioned in the first place and that they might think that about her daughter. However, all this said, Anita's father said that at the time of the murder, he believed that the two girls had already settled their differences. I mean, I think up until this point, out of all the people that you've kind of discussed and all of the potential, you know, all the potential suspects, the roommate kind of strikes me as the one who would be, I guess, the person who did this. And I think the reason that I say that is just going based on the history, right? Like they've already, they've fought before it's turned physical. Her alibi, her alibi is her parents, right? And I don't know that there are many parents out there who wouldn't do even the craziest things to defend their own child. Right? Like I think most parents would probably say that their kid was with them if they knew that their kid was in trouble or they thought their kid was there. (laughs) Yeah, like, exactly. She could have crawled out the window. Like, you know. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, but in terms of like DNA evidence, it makes total sense, right? Taylor's DNA is, of course, going to be in the apartment. She lived there. So it's not going to show as anything weird or unexpected, you know, in Anita's room necessarily. Was this like a dorm room or was this an off campus apartment? Do you know? It was an apartment. I'm not sure if it was on campus or off campus, but it was definitely an apartment, like a full apartment. Um, but I, which I suppose would make it, I guess, not as likely for her DNA to be in her room. But even then, I mean, it's still a shared apartment. Like all it takes is for somebody to sit on the couch, a piece of their hair goes onto the couch. You throw your sweatshirt on top of the couch, right? And now you bring the sweatshirt back to your room. Well, now you have their DNA in your room, right? So I don't think it's that crazy of an idea either. Totally. And the weird thing too, I mean, of course, you know, with their history, it's only natural to think that the roommate might have had something to do with it. But also it's so weird to me that the parent showed up at the funeral. Like that almost points more to guilt for me, at least. Yeah. Like it almost screams like, uh, okay, like we covered our daughter and we think our daughter did this. Like, it's the right thing for us to go and show our respect, even though that, you know, they kind of got into that weird confrontation with Anita's parents, but maybe that was kind of like the mentality behind it. Right. Like the, the, the subconscious idea of them going, but yeah, I would agree with you there. No, So they showed up not even to attend the funeral. Literally. They only showed up to confront the mom. So, oh. Well, yeah, that's even worse. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, on one hand, I get it. Like, your daughter is being kind of accused of this thing. But it's so – even still, like, it's so weird to me. You'd think – It's the timing, too. I mean, like, even in a normal situation, like, let's say you were going to confront them, right? I mean, I think most people would probably choose any other time <laughs> to do it. You know, like, is the funeral really the most appropriate time to have this confrontation, uh, you know, assuming you're kind of like a normal sane person, right? Right. And I mean, we don't know if they are, but, <laughs> but yeah. also. Well, I mean, hey, if you're going to somebody's funeral to confront their parents because the police suspected your daughter, uh, it already sounds like there might be a screw loose, but. That's true. Knows? But also, like, you know, when people are guilty, sometimes they lash out. Like, maybe the parents know something and they're just being way too defensive like when people are too defensive it's almost like a sign of guilt and when i read that i'm like there's something weird going on there yeah like when you over insert yourself pretty Mm -hmm. much 
Because a lot of times, like in other cases, like they feel as if, okay, like in this case, Taylor's parents, they feel as if, okay, you know, this is a shame what happened to Anita, but let's not ruin two lives. And like the parents will go to such lengths to defend their child. But yeah, there's a whole show on Showtime called Your Honor, and that's the plot of a story. Like the lengths parents will go to defend their kid in order to not ruin two lives, essentially. Completely. From here, unfortunately, the case turns cold. It's worth noting that most suspects submitted a DNA sample, including the roommate and the prom date. However, we don't know for sure that the rest of the suspect, you know, for example, the janitor, did as well. This case is interesting to me for a few reasons, but before we get into our final thoughts, I think it's worth noting that the detective recently stated, and I quote, I don't know that we ever really discounted any of the suspects that we came up with. Everybody, up until we get a new direction in this case, is still somebody that could have possibly been involved. He also shared that DNA has come a long way since 2007 and that they will be retesting the DNA at the scene. So, you know, the DNA situation isn't as clear cut as the investigation made it seem. And Anita's family and friends haven't given up hope that the killer will be found. Anyway, with all of this said, what do you guys think? I think with the information that you've given us and kind of everything we've gone through, if I would have to pick a particular person, it probably still would be the roommate, right? And I say that mostly because from a DNA side of things, totally makes sense why her DNA would be in the apartment. From her alibi side of things, I mean, having your parents as your alibi, I don't know that that is the best alibi in the world to have. But I also want to be very clear and that it's it's also very hard to say, right? Because whenever there are news articles or information that we find for these episodes, sometimes news sources and media will run with a, a particular person, basically for the same reason that we are right now, right? So I think out of everything I've heard, the roommate seems like the, the most likely option. But I really do hope that, just like that detective said, I hope that there is some sort of development in terms of the DNA or in terms of, you know, what happened so that we can find out a little bit more. Because I feel like the information we have just really isn't that much at the end of the day either. It kind of reminds me of the Hawaiian case that we did for Lisa Ao, but specifically the quote that you were saying, it just seems like the police are so haphazard with it. Like, oh, well, we'll retest it. No one's really off the hook. Like, we can't really pin a motive. And it's just so unfortunate that even as late as 2007 that people are still getting that type of justice, which is, like, close to none. I was just going to say, so people, as I was reading these articles, people were very upset with the police department. And, you know, they spoke out about it and said that they know why people are upset and, like, they want justice too. But they maintain that they've done everything they can. It doesn't sound like the public agrees with that. But, you know, they have commented on that. And that's kind of the general feeling. And another thing with the roommate is, like, yes, she's definitely likely of a suspect. But if of females and males, they commit different type of crime that like different type of severities if a woman committed a crime that brutal where she stabbed someone multiple times with a dull knife that woman is unhinged i feel like someone who got away with that once 
If they were that unhinged, they would do it again. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. I just keep going back to like how personal and emotional the whole scene felt. So like I have a gut feeling that it's someone that knew her. Now I'm not saying it was the roommate. It's just easy out of like the options that we have to point to her. But I'm like maintaining I think it's someone that knew her. Like unless it was really someone very unhinged on the loose, but there was no signs of forced entry. I don't know. And like I said, just very emotional, the whole thing. So that's what I'm leaning toward. And again, I wonder if she had any, if there was any signs of like her trying to defend herself, because that could also show that maybe the type of relationship, because if it's like really, really, really trying to defend herself, probably from like the start, maybe it was more of a stranger or even someone that she let in under different pretense, like a repair person or maintenance, you know, again, not forced entry. And then maybe if it was like less defense, you could say, nah, maybe she knew them and didn't realize that it was, it was going to boil over whatever was going on. So uh, it's interesting that, that they didn't really share that part. Yep. I completely agree. And really we don't have enough information as like a lot of these unsolved cases it could genuinely just be someone that they, the police haven't talked to yet, like, you know, a friend that knocked on her door and she let them in, like you said, under different pretenses and it got out of hand and something happened. You know, we just don't know. So thank you everyone for listening and for joining us today. You can find any photos and sources for this case on our website, ThrillogyPodcast.com. We release new episodes every Monday, and each week we release two clues leading up to the release of our next episode. The first clue is that we will be seeing next week through a crystal ball. Be sure to check out our Instagram for the second clue later this week. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you can keep up with all things Thrilogy on social media at at ThrilogyPod and make story requests on ThrilogyPodcast.com. Thank you.